0: After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by
1: Catch Us Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hard-working tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the work side. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000.
0: You're listening to Gloves Off Hockey here on 1510 WMEX with your host, Mike Milbury. Mike, welcome back, bud, and I hope you had a very happy holiday, first of all.
1: I did have a good one, and yourself?
0: Very much so, my friend. Thank you, thank you. And 2023 just around the corner, creeping up quickly, as it always does, man. Are you ready for a new year?
1: Yeah, ready or not, here it comes. That's uh, it. You know, for the Bruins, the the beat goes on, kind of, just before Christmas. They beat the Winnipeg Jets, gave up a couple goals early. And then Jim Montgomery had said about that game that the Winnipeg Jets, who are amongst the league the leaders in uh, the Western Conference, that the Jets did a better job than any team that they faced in forechecking them this year. But still not good enough. Boston roared back in the second period, and then Nick Felino scored in the third to win it. Um, you know, you can't say enough about Nick Foligno. Uh, it's a great story. The Bruins overpaid for the free agent who, who – grossly underachieved last year I don't know what where that came from but somehow he's rediscovered his game this year six goals and ten assists and he always seems to say the right thing you know it's tough to be a leader when you're a a fourth line player but this guy is a former captain and um, he he really has impressed me and then just before Christmas the last game before Christmas they traveled to New Jersey on the 23rd and the Devils had just snapped a, a losing streak Against Florida, and we're sitting at home waiting for the Bruins, and that you know that just didn't matter. It was Foligno pointed out that the Bruins are now the the hunted ones, and they have to be ready because every other team is going to be ready for them. And they've been recognized as the year's hottest team, so it it, me, it puts pressure on them, but I would say in a good way. And New Jersey was already scoring early in that game in the first period, but as the coach pointed out, his team can play any type of game. He said, we can be down and come back. We can grab a lead and keep our foot on the gas pedal. And I might add that they can still blow leads and still maintain some composure and win. That almost happened in New Jersey. They had a 4-1 lead, but Jersey made it interesting, 4-3 final. And then came the break. And the breaks are always dangerous things for teams that are on a winning streak and they they actually drive coaches crazy because you lose control over their players and you know it's a uh, it's tough to do but when you're winning as much as they have uh, I, I guess you can breathe a little bit easier I read over the, the break and column by Matt Porter and he made comparisons to this Bruins team to Jim Montgomery's University of Maine team who he they called they used the word dominant and that's what the Bruins have been in most phases of the of the game this year, but this is not the NCAA. This is the NHL. It's a lot tougher to dominate in this league. Um, and by the way, there's Montgomery in that championship game that he played for in UMaine. His team is down two goals to Lake Superior State. He came back with a personal hat trick in the third period on assists from Paul Korea to win it. So wow. he knows something about how to win a hockey game on a critical moment and. And also in that call, Matt Porter from the Globe wrote about about Montgomery reaching out to coaches on how to handle this success. So he reached out to Scotty Bowman, and we all know who he is, the most successful coach in the history of the National Hockey League. And his advice, focus on details. I don't think anybody was more focused on details of the game than Scotty Bowman, but (laughs) uh, there's no doubt that. It's a good thing to focus on. Maybe it's face-offs. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a power play breakout or it's a controlled forecheck. But I think it's good advice. Mike Babcock told him, pick one area to to protect and to make perfect. And that's an interesting way to go about it. And the I, it's a way of keeping a team's focus on the job at hand. If you pick out one particular thing and say, Well, this is what we gotta get we gotta get right, we gotta get it right every game. Then it makes guys stop and think and uh, pretty good advice. And Joel Quenville, I might have liked this advice better than any other piece of advice. Joel Quenville, a great coach from Chicago Blackhawk days and now in sort of forced retirement, said to Montgomery just enjoy the ride, <laughs> which is really when you're going this well, you can you can probably nitpick a little bit, find something to perfect or focus on details, but there's a time to enjoy it too. And and so they run into the break at Christmas time and they haven't lost in regulation in 20 home games, which is absurd. And Linus Allmark's record now is it says he's gonna be the Vesna trophy winner, 19-1 and one. David Pasternak at the break, looking to score not 50 but probably 60 goals. Patrice Bergeron, well, he just he's just turned back the clock, and all of the preseason predictions of mediocrity have been mocked by this team. But the break comes, and as I said, it's 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 dangerous. You lose control of them. You can't skate them. You can't you can't have them watch videotape. And they're all in an 82 game season. There's always another challenge. And last night, that challenge was presented in Ottawa. This is a team, Ottawa, that beat Boston in a wild one earlier in the season, 7-6. Um, it's supposed to be on the rise, but they certainly can score. Guys like Giroux and Tuchuk and amongst others are are pretty good, but goaltending and defense have been kind of spotty. So the biggest challenge they face going into Ottawa, in my mind, is is the layoff, and you know, no time to to practice, travel on the day of the game, and in the first, it looked like they had a good Christmas. I mean, I think Pasternak looked like he'd swallowed a whole turkey himself. I mean, he was just he was not, he was not moving well. Neither was Marchand too, and I, you can't blame him. That you got to be able to enjoy yourself at Christmas time with your family, but it looked like they had a lot of enjoyment and. So entering the third period, they're down a goal, just two to one, but they had not played particularly well in either of those first two periods. Uh, Ottawa looked like they were the quicker team, and they are a younger and quicker version sometimes and 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 they were hungry to to face the Bruins. But in the third period, it was a barrage of shots on Cam Talbot, the Ottawa goaltender. twenty seven shots they finished with in that period. They found their legs. And they pounded him, uh, but Talbot was—that's the best goaltending performance, save performances by Linus Olmark that we've seen all season. I mean, this was—it was just a one-man band. Pavel Zaka got off the snide and scored a goal to tie it late. Uh, and by the way, before I forget, Swayman was tremendous. He made some key saves. A breakaway on Tachuk, he stoned him. And in the end, they the managed to get a point. There was some wild times during the, sh- the uh, five-minute overtime. Shootout, they didn't look very good. One great move by Alex Dabrink had sealed the deal for Ottawa, and they go home with a point after not really playing a full 60 minutes. And that's what you get when you come out of the break. You don't know what you get. You could get you could get 60 minutes. You could get less than 60 minutes. But the Bruins find a way to to get a point and – keep their streak going and now they go off to New Jersey where you, you're you know you're looking at a team that their last game was the game that they played against Boston so they had a full three days off and days to practice and you know we'll talk about that more later but I think we want to take a quick break here because uh, I want to get to Joe Micheletti who's a, a fountain of knowledge on the, the sport and the NHL and particularly the New York Rangers so let's take a quick one Ben and we'll get right back to it
0: Right back here on Gloves Off Hockey with your host Mike Milbury and Mike. Go ahead. We have a special guest on the line and he is ready to roll.
1: All right. Yeah, our guest is Joe Micoletti, who won a couple of NCAA championships back in the day. Uh, played college at Minnesota. Played in the WHA and the NHL. Assistant coach at the NHL level and broadcaster for just about every network you can name that's covered the National Hockey League and. Currently, locally covering the New York Rangers in New York. Joe, how are you?
2: Hey, Mike. I'm I'm doing great, thanks. How are you?
1: Good. How's the weather in Florida?
2: Beautiful. Thank you for asking. I might stay.
1: <laughs> Before I get <laughs> I told to the... My uh... wife
2: as I, I was telling my wife as I left today, Mike, I said, you know, if I see a nice condo down here, I might just get it and stay here and come down later. <laughs> Good call. I don't
1: blame you. I am I'm, I'm going to head down there next month and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Everyday seems to be short sleeves and shorts weather, so it's a it's a change of pace from what we've seen up here in the last little while. Before we get to the Rangers though, I, I people would like to know what was it like to play for Herb Brooks? Yeah. It, you
2: know, Mike, it was um we could. I mean, it's a subject that we could we could talk about for you know for a, for a long time. It could take up uh, this whole session, for sure. But um, you know, for me, he was still the greatest coach that I ever played for, and still had the greatest mind about the game uh, itself. And he not only you know he not only became you know my coach, and then I had two brothers, two younger brothers that followed followed me to to Minnesota, but. Uh, he became such an important uh, person uh, to our family as well because my mother and father fell in love with him uh, when he recruited me i didn 't even talk to him he talked to them <laughs> more than me and um, and then you know when I lost both my mother and my father uh, i i can 't even tell you the extraordinary length that he went through to get to their to get to their funerals and he became you know he became a brother to my brothers. he became a brother to my sisters and almost like a son to my parents and then to play for him mike uh and you know he was really to me the first the first coach that studied the European system and the Russian system and the czech system and 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 tried to blend that into a North American style of of hockey and a uh, puck possession, but the one thing he always said was. You can't win without street fighters. So you can you can have all the talent in the world, players that can skate and handle the puck and shoot the puck and but he says you better have some street fighters on your team. And so, you know, so that's the way he always tried to to build and blend his teams of having that that combination of, of those types of players with this you know, with this idea of of what he learned about puck possession and then you know, adding the North American style into that, so I just thought he was a he was a brilliant guy, and and uh, uh, we lost him too uh, certainly too early, Mike, and and uh, I, I just uh, I just thought the world of him.
1: You know, he tried to bring that style of puck possession to his stints in the National Hockey League, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he did, and you know, he I I think he had some su- some success with that, and you know, I I think that. You know, when he first was with the Rangers, and of course he had Craig Patrick, who was, Craig was, was, as everyone knows, was his assistant on that Olympic team in 1980, and so I think they had a good working relationship there as far as what they were trying to do, and they came close, but they just happened to run into the Islanders who were, you know, getting ready to, to do their thing for four straight. So um, uh, I, I think that if had he been able to stay longer, and you know how tough it is, Mike, to you know stay with one organization for a long time especially if you're a coach um i think that if there was a longer uh road there that i think he would even have had more success
1: i thought i, I thought he had clo- you were right he was very close i mean they were they were a tough team to play against the rangers and it was and it was it was more like playing you know a visiting team from Russia, but it was a it was a good try by him. It just didn't quite click, and maybe some of the guys weren't quite ready for it. But let's get to the Rangers. I had them as likely conference finalists as the year started. I thought they were ready to move forward. What happened early on? I know they've gotten hotter early, and we'll talk about that. But but what happened early on?
2: Yeah, I think I think there's a, a number of areas, Mike, that you can look at because. You know how it is. I mean, generally, you don't look at one certain thing as as being the uh, you know uh, the only detriment or one detriment as to why your team doesn't uh, you know doesn't uh, stack up well in the in the in the standings. But there's, I think, a few things. So when you look back at last year's playoff run for them, you know their kids on that team uh, really, for the most part, they became men, Mike. Because you know how it is, the difference between playing in the regular season and then playing in the playoffs and then having success in the playoffs. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. And so when you looked at those, those Rangers, young players, Heedle being one of them, he only had, you know, eight goals in the regular season, but had seven in the playoffs. Capo even though he was a healthy scratch, the final game of the playoffs, he grew in the playoffs. The same with Lafreniere, Miller on defense, another, he's just 22, uh, was playing 24, 25 minutes a game in the playoffs. The young Schneider, who just turned 21 on defense, uh, you know, he got plenty of minutes. And so I think what happened when Chris Drury made those those trades at the deadline where he, he acquired uh, Frank Petrano, who people in Boston certainly know, and he's always been a shooter, right? And the Rangers have always been a pass happy team. So they needed they needed a shooter and so they get Frank Petrano from Florida where he wasn't playing much. And he immediately steps on and becomes one of the top six forwards. And it's exactly what they needed. Get him the puck and let him shoot it. So he provided a spark there. The other deal he made was getting, you know, getting Andrew Kopp from Winnipeg. And Kopp came in and immediately became a top six forward, and he played wing, he played center, he killed penalties. You had him out there at the end of a period, you know, for defensive purposes, you know, playing the power play. He did everything for them. And then and then throw in Tyler Mott uh, as a fourth-line penalty killer. So they had these kind of these veteran guys that they acquired that all helped them become a much better team going down the stretch. And then you lose all of them. To free agency. And I think part of the thinking was, well, these young kids took another step and now we'll just kind of filter them into where these gaps are from these players that left. And it didn't happen that way, Mike. So we've seen throughout the course of the season, we've seen all kinds of different line combinations and they've still been trying to figure out and find, you know, who are the best two top right wingers to fill the fill the void that Vetrano and Kopp uh, left. And so it hasn't been real smooth. And so that's, that's one of the issues. Uh, the goaltender was so good last year, Mike, he, he, I think you could go back and just look at the first three months of last year, the first half of the season, and the guy probably won you 10 games on his own. You know, he, I mean, he was that fabulous. And so he hasn't quite been as good this year, which I don't know if you could expect him, expect him to be, but he, he wasn't he's been certainly better in the last month, but you know the, the first couple of months, you know, not great, uh, pretty good, but not as great. And so I think when you, you threw all those things in, and now the Rangers became a team that nobody really thought about last year. So like you said, you know, you put them right there as a team that's going to get to the conference finals. I think they felt the pressure, and I think teams coming in, you know, started looking at them and saying, "Okay, we got to play well to beat the Rangers." And so that was a whole new pressure that they that they felt. That taking them a while to deal with.
1: Yeah, you know, Shostakin now is seventeen wins. I think he's second only to Olmark and, and wins, so he's certainly come a long way. Um, so, but I'm interested. You mentioned Lafreniere and. Caco, the two number one overall picks, and you said they made strides, they became men, but it didn't carry. And so I ask you, and it's not an easy question to answer: Are these guys going to be stars in this league for the Rangers, or is there concern now that they're they're, you know, they're not going to meet the the high standards or high expectations that led them to be such high draft picks?
2: Yeah, I, I think I think this, Mike. I mean, neither of these players, I don't think, is is going to be one of those generational type players. And you know, most of those guys that are generational type players come along are either on defense or 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 centers. Um, but these those two particular drafts where Lafreniere was was the number one overall, he's a good player, and I don't think he, I don't think he's played he hasn't played as well this year as he played last year, which surprises me because he had a good because he had a good playoffs and and he had he scored 19 goals in the regular season last season and all 19 were at even strength and that's not easy to do in this league because he doesn't you know that's the problem with some of the, the younger players on this team Mike and you and you know how it is when you know you're trying to bring those kids along and you're trying to get them confidence and a lot of times when they're offensive players if they don't get power play time to get points then it's it's difficult. It's it's more difficult for them. And so, the number one power play unit for the Rangers up until just the last few games. I mean, they play a minute forty five, and sometimes the entire two minutes. And so, you know, the Heatles, Lafreniere, Cog, they don't they don't see much power play time. So they're not going to get they're not getting many points either. So, in answer to your question, I'm uh, I'm a little surprised that Lafreniere still hasn't taken more of a jump. And I thought he'd be better this year because of what happened last year and in the playoffs. Kako is Mike. He's I, I'm, again. I'm not going to say he's a he's a generational player. Probably won't be, but he, he's coming along. He's starting to score more. He's starting to get more confidence. He's a big body. He likes he likes having the puck, and he's not afraid. He wants to make plays, and he likes to protect the puck. And so he's he's learning to get to the net more. They want him to shoot a little bit more than he does. He tends to overhandle it, and they want him to shoot a little bit more. But I think he's got a really bright future, and I think Lafreniere will be able to play. I'm just not sure of what, you know, I'm not sure how high is uh, he, he's going to get. It's still, it's still to me a question mark. And and the other, the other players, Heedle has taken a big step. I think he's going to be a good player in the league for a long time. And then the two kids on defense. You know Miller and and, uh, and Schneider are. I think are, are going to have really good long careers as well.
1: Yeah, tell me about those two in particular because that's, a, that's a really a critical area for the Rangers to see the development of those two players. What is what is Miller? Is he a power play guy as well as a five on five guy?
2: Uh, I think he. I think he's got more offense to his game, but he doesn't play the power play. Right. Not even the second unit uh the second unit is is Jacob Truba right-handed shot which they have him for the shooter and and there's still four forwards so Miller is not getting any power play time at all but but the the kid has a tremendous amount of skill i'm sure you saw the goal that he scored in Philadelphia where he fell down got up you know and made the made the the, the great play it's one of the you know it's one of the top goals of the season that we've seen so far if not the top and uh, and he and he can skate and has that long reach so uh and what's interesting about him mike this this is uh, when I, I was talking to him the other day about this, but he he was a forward right up until the age of sixteen when he went to the uh, the us development program, and he said that when he started playing defense, he was taught to play defense skating forwards and not backwards. and I said, how'd you do that?" and he said, well I'd, you know, I was always taught to taught to you know to close in quickly and not let not let the opposition get going. So this is a kid that's still, I think, learning the position, and he's only twenty two, so he hasn't played the position all that long. But uh, but again, his you know he plays against all the top players, um, and I only think he's going to get better. Schneider, on the other end, on the other side, is a is a six foot two two got some bite to his game. And can skate and can shoot and and the way Gerard Gallant when you when you ask him about about uh, uh, Schneider uh, he just says he never he never makes a mistake so he said I don't notice him that much because he just doesn't make mistakes so but there's still how not, old is you
1: know, he 21?
2: 22. yeah he just turned twenty one uh, when the season started Mike so and they moved up a couple places in the draft. To, to get him because they were really and again this was through this rebuild when they had I believe they had three or four first round picks that year when they when they took Schneider so uh, so he's going to be you, you you'd really like Schneider because he's got that combination of grit and skill to his game and uh, and he's got you know he doesn't he probably doesn't get as many minutes as he should Mike because he's got Fox and Truba ahead of him on the right side.
1: You know, uh it surprises me that the Rangers rank 3rd in hits in the league. Are they that physical a club?
2: No. Um you know, and they had, you know, they had um um before they before they made the trade with uh, with Minnesota, you know, Ryan Reeves who hit everything. But why why, they do why did they have, let him go? I I think it was it certainly wasn't because Of an issue in the you know as as a teammate, he's a great teammate, and the players players really like him. And I was a little I was a little surprised because he still in this game today, even though it's changed so much over the years, there still is um, a a level of comfort for players when you've got somebody like Ryan Reeves that's in the lineup. But at age thirty five. They felt he had slowed down a little bit. Prior to the trade, he had been a healthy scratch for eight of nine games. Uh, they're in a cap crunch situation. They've got to re-sign players for next year. And so I think that they were – I think they just felt that they could, they could move his entire contract, <clears throat> excuse me, which is difficult to do these days. And uh, because, of, because of that and he wasn't playing and didn't look like he was going to get in all that many games – uh, plus he didn't play much in the playoffs either. So I think they they're looking at their cap situation and trying to prepare for the for the trade deadline in March and for next year. But they do have some players, Mike Mike, they do have some players such as Barkley Goodrow, who is just one of those players you can move him all over the lineup, which they've done, and he'll never pass up a hit. He's not gonna put you through the glass, but he's gonna hit you. He's a you know he's one of those blue collar type players that's got some skill, and Sammy Blay is another one that's in and out of the lineup. So they have they have enough players that will take you know that'll take the man and hit. Uh, but I I wouldn't say that they're a physically imposing team.
1: Well, one guy that's certainly not imposing physically, but is imposing with his skill is Artemi Panarin. Uh, clearly, can be a great player, but he's yeah also a minus player now and every playoff season, he's been a minus player. Is he yeah. a guy that you're going to count on big time in the playoffs or is that, is he, well, that's my question. Is he going to fall short? Yeah.
2: I, I think you keep, I think you keep hoping Mike because, uh, and I, I talked to our uh after the season ended. In fact, it was the day before he was going. He was uh, taking his wife back to Russia to spend some time in Russia. And I just said to him, what do you, you know, I said, what you, would you think of the playoffs? And he said, he said I was no good. He said, uh, he said, I'm really disappointed in the way I played. I, I didn't do what I had to do. And, you know, I didn't get to the net. And that was a big thing with him because, um, you know, he for the most part is a perimeter type player, finds open ice, and you know makes play he didn't you know the teams during the playoffs teams would just go right to him as soon as he got the puck in the neutral zone mike they'd go right to him and he would stop and they try he he he's one of the you know he's one of the better passers of the puck in the game um but a lot of those passes are higher risk and then you know the 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 you know east west passes you know in the neutral zone don't work in the playoffs right and he he was he was trying he was attempting to make a lot of those plays. You know he had points. I think he was close to a point per game, but um, you know, but by his standards, I think by standards of, of just about everybody else, he wasn't as good as he should have been, and he wasn't going to areas that are difficult to go to in the playoffs and and score goals from those from those areas. So he came back this season, Mike, and his first ten games. Everything I just talked about, he was doing. And he was skating. He wasn't stopping. He was going to the net. He was drawing penalties. And, and then he went through a, a period of a funk. And then, if you remember, three or four weeks ago when, when Jacob Truba had that meltdown and he was trying to fight everybody he could on the, on the ice and the, on the other teams because the Rangers were, were playing horrific hockey. And he, you know, and then he throws his helmet after he gets thrown out of the game, he throws his helmet at the boards near the bench and screams at his teammates to wake the you know what up. And and then they went on a run of seven straight wins. Even Panarin at that point started doing he started I mean, there was a game in Vegas, Mike, where Panarin blocked a shot and his teammates got up and started banging their sticks on the board. And then we showed a couple other plays where he came back hard to the net, and made some defensive plays. So he's got that in him, and he's a very likable teammate, and players love him. But that's what he wasn't doing in the playoffs uh, last season, and, and he was disappointed, so was everybody else.
1: We've got to take a quick break. Can, can I keep you a little bit longer just to talk about some league wide stuff, Joe? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. All right, sure. thanks. We'll be right back.
0: Proudly brought to you by catcheslaw.com Matter of fact, gloves off hockey here on WMEX. Mike Milbury with company right here on 1510.
1: Okay, Joe, you just saw our old club, the Islanders. What's wrong with them?
2: I still, I'm still concerned about their ability to score, Mike. You know, I mean, I, we know under Barry Trotz how good defensively they became, right? Uh, but still, even, even during that period of time, they, 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 you know, it's, I think it's hard, isn't it, Mike, to just try to win every game two to one. You know, they started off this, this year scoring more a little bit of a, you know, with Lane Lambert, their new head coach, he kind of loosened the reins a little bit. Um, and so they, they were a team that could score more. I'm still not sure they're going, they're going to be able to score enough. They certainly, um, uh, you know, they certainly have the goaltending. Even though Sorokin, you know, he, he went through a five-game period where he wasn't very good, and then he comes back and gets a shutout. And and, uh, uh, but I still think over the course, the, the long term, that they'll that they're that they're still good enough in goal. But I still, I'm, I'm still concerned about their about their scoring.
1: And then and then you saw the Rangers get shut out by the Caps last night. they're a team, one of the oldest teams in the league, and they just lost Carlson to an injury, um, are, that somehow have climbed back into this playoff race without Wilson, without Backstrom. Uh how do they how did they appear to you?
2: Uh you know, I talked to and, and I remember you and I were together, Mike, when you brought when you gave Peter Laviolette his first Chance to to coach in the National Hockey League, and and he obviously has really you know grown over the years as a as a coach. And so I talked to Peter yesterday before the game, and I asked him the same question you just asked me. I said I said, how have you done it? I mean, they lead the league in man games lost to injury, and it's you know, and 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 to me, there's a distinction. You can you can lose your third and fourth line players and, and be up there in man games lost to injury. But as you were just talking about, when you're, when you're speaking directly to some, some of their top players, and for them to be able to turn things around, they've won five in a row now, and they've won 10 of their last 11. And so uh, so I asked Peter, I said, I said, what's happened? I said, did you change the style of this team? He said, no. He said, we're just better defensively. He said, it's as simple as that. He said, we are playing better defensively. Everybody's bought in. You know, the work ethic is really high. He told me that the, the the early part of the season uh, everybody was you know wondering about their goal scoring and he said we were he said our our uh, our shooting percentage was around 5% as a team. He said we were getting scoring chances but we weren't scoring. And so he said we're down around 5% and it's hard to win when you're you know when you're at that percentage. He said, now we've, we've ramped it back up to we're about around the, you know, around the league average of 10, 11%. Uh, so that, that's helped. But he said, more than anything, it's been our defensive game. And I'll tell you what, Mike, they were, you know, the Rangers weren't very good last night, but the Capitals were really good. And they defended well. And as you mentioned, now they got Carlson out. He's going to be out long-term. They don't know when he's coming back. And, and, uh, but Wilson's getting closer. Um, and Backstrom's getting closer and you didn't even mention TJ Oshie,
1: right, another right.
2: player that's been so important for them. He's been out. So, uh, and, uh, Farrah and, uh, a young defenseman that, uh, that, they, that they really like he's missed, I believe 12 games now. So, uh, so they've, they've done it, Mike, by just playing really hard, stingy type defense and, and they're you know, the goaltending situation I thought was really interesting in the off season where they get rid of their two guys, bring in two other guys, and uh and they they both have played really well for them. So uh so they've done it with defense and they've got they've got this belief now that they can that they can beat anybody and they were really good last night.
1: Well around here a lot of people are eating some crow for their predictions for the Bruins season coming into this year because nobody with with McAvoy out, with Marchand out, um, Grizzlick was out for, for a while at the beginning of the year. I mean, uh, it, it was – people thought they were going to try to hang around until almost Christmas or at least after Thanksgiving when people got healthy. And then they make the coaching change and all of a sudden – you know, we—he's Mister Rogers, Joe. I don't know if you know Jim Montgomery, yeah. but he's everybody every day is a good day. Hardly ever hear anything negative come out of his mouth. The whole call yeah. was to have the defense join into the offense. That really hasn't worked out in terms of the numbers. I mean, they may present themselves as options, and that may result in more chances. But and the goaltenders turned into Ken Dryden. I mean, right. what do you? <laughs> well, how do you figure this? Yeah.
2: You know, I'll I'll tell you what I know about Jim Montgomery. So my son, Adam, uh, I have to go back to this was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. He got hired because there was a new franchise that was just starting in the USHL in Dubuque, Iowa. And so my son, Adam, got hired to be the director of hockey ops and the manager of business affairs. So they had to build a new arena. So he went there a year early and was in, and kind of oversaw the, the building of this you know this new arena, and then he had to put together the team. And so I, I I remember this like it was yesterday. These conversations we had about the coach he was going to hire, and it got down to the final two, and he he called me and he said he said Dad. He said, the guy I want is not the guy the owners want. And I said, who do you want? He said, I want Jim Montgomery. And I said, let me tell you something right now. If you decide that you want to stay in the sports business, you got to stick with your guns. Because if you're going to get fired, you might as well get fired, you know, doing what you want to do. So uh, I said, what is it about Montgomery? He said, dad, I think he's a heck of a coach. I just think he's a heck of a coach. And I really like his way he talks, the way he thinks about the game. And, you know, he's got experience. And at that time, I believe he was an assistant coach at RPI. And so I said, listen, I said, if that's your guy, then you got to talk the owners into hiring him. And so he did. And so Jim Montgomery got his first head coaching job in the USHL and in Dubuque, Iowa. And then they started putting together the team. They ended up with Johnny Gaudreau as one of the players. Gergensen's a place where Buffalo was one of their players. Um, and, and a few others, a few others along the way, but Jim, and so Jim Montgomery, uh, won two championships in the USHL in three years there. And then he went on to coach. You know, then he got the head coaching job at Denver. They were after him there, and so I, I was. That's how I got to meet and talk to Jim Montgomery over those years that he was there, and got to know him a little bit. And then so I've I've had a relationship with him since then. And uh, but I'll just never forget. You know, when I talked to my son about these championships they were winning, he just said, "Dad, this guy can coach." He can just coach he's got he's got this relationship he has with players but he's tough enough and, he, and he's just he can coach he's just a good coach. So when he got hired in Boston and, I, and I'm like everybody else, I was wondering how they were going to get through all this with with all those key injuries and and uh, and you know understanding that you know you've been around long enough sometimes just a coaching change different personality opens some things up you know can work both ways. And so, but, but I, I like their choice because I, I just, I thought he did a really good job when he was in Dallas and, you know, got himself in trouble, but you know what? Good for him. He was, he was able to turn his life around and get things straightened out and, and uh, good for St. Louis and, 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 uh, and chief there to give him an opportunity to get back in the game and back in the league. And I, I just, I just think the guy really has a real good handle on on, on what he's doing from a coaching perspective, and obviously it's, you know, obviously everything's working.
1: It, it seems that he possesses the personality traits necessary to coach today's modern players. I mean, it seems yeah. that he gives them their reign. You know, he, he I mean, that team has has been a better puck possession team than I've ever seen Boston have. I mean it's been it's been amazing to see how line after line uh finds a way to control the puck. And they're at the top of the heap in power play and penalty killing, and goals against and goals for. It's just Right. But the the guy that mostly <laughs> has amazed me and I don't know if you've ever seen a a guy like Omar turn what looked like a decent goaltender into, you know, what what has to be the Odds-on favorite to win the Vezina Trophy this year.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I was never sure how good he was, and obviously the Bruins thought he was good when they you know when they signed him to the four-year contract as a as a free agent. And you know, and I know Olmark, you know, has had some 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 deep personal issues that he's had to deal with in his life, and uh, and I'm sure that that's had an effect on him. But he's been you know, he's been able to over overcome that I and mean, he lost his father and his father was, uh, battling alcoholism and he had to deal with a lot of different things when he was still a young man. And especially at that position, right, Mike? I mean, that's, you know, you got oh, yeah. enough going on just trying to stop a puck. And, and if you have, you know, if you have these other things going on, uh, in your life, in your family life, that it, it makes it that much more difficult. So, You know, I think it's probably a combination of of Jim Montgomery getting there. I I think for O'Mark, it certainly helps that they've got the leadership that they do on that team uh, to, to, you know, to help him, and then him just overcoming and learning how to deal with all the other personal issues he's he's had to deal with. And then, you know, that it uh, you start thinking that everything works and that just about everything is is working for that team. And, And the other thing is this, Mike. I mean, this this team gets down, and uh, they just – there's no quit. I mean, they just think that they can come back from any deficit and, and beat a team.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, they, that's, you they, know, they,
2: that's a special trait to have.
1: It is, and i got to attribute that a lot to some of their older guys like Bergeron and Krejci and Marchand. Right. But, you know what, one of the – I think – Maybe the best trade, uh, not even maybe, the, definitely the best trade of Don Sweeney's managerial career was his trade for Hampus Lindholm, who can eat up 25 minutes a night, as does McAvoy. And it's a, it's a, it's a combination that you can use in key moments or split them up and know you're going to get incredible play. Lindholm, especially early on, was, was really impressive. I mean, he's one of the top 10 defensemen in the league for sure.
2: Yeah, and he's got, and he's a big body, so he can play. You talk about the minutes; he can he can play in those types of uh, uh, you know physical games, and he can and he can put up the minutes. I mean, that, I I think that you know playing in Anaheim, I mean, not not a lot of people knew about him from a stand, uh, from a fan standpoint, but you know he he was always known as someone that he can make the first good pass coming out of your zone, and so. And then I think that what happened in Boston, I think he even got more of an opportunity. And now he goes to a hockey hotbed with, you know, with Bergeron and Marshawn and, and those players and the history, the history of the franchise and the, you know, and the fans that are so diehard. And, and I think he just embraced that opportunity to play in a market like Boston and, and have a chance to win that, 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 that made him a better player as well.
1: Well, my last question here. You see Carolina now is 10-0-1 in their last 11 games. Toronto yeah. Toronto has the second-best goals against in the league to the Bruins. Isn't that odd to say or hear? I mean, yeah. I, I looked it up today. It was just <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, they've been such a, uh, you know, an awful team defensively, but they're winning hockey games. Tampa is still a little bit up and down, but they – trying to win their fifth game at home who's coming out of this conference
2: you know I still I still lean towards um, you know I'll, I'll never I'll never say forget about Tampa their time has moved on I don't think he can with that core because you know they have a core that's similar to the Bruins core I mean you can't ever count those guys out ever and so um, I I still think, That the Bruins and Tampa, uh, you know, in that division, are the are the two best teams. I'm like you with Toronto. How do you go from being not very good to where they are? Their goaltending has been better, uh, and I think that's somewhat of a surprise. And I'm I'm still not totally convinced that their goaltending is going to hold up, but maybe it will. Um, But that certainly has been a positive for them. And then they're a little bit older. They're growing up, <clears throat> but the, who's going to come out of the conference at, I, I, I still think that the Bruins and Tampa to me are the, are the, are the leading contenders. Uh And, and, you know, and I shouldn't say you got to throw Carolina in there um as well, because and it might just be this, this young rookie goaltender that, that uh, is able to lead the way for them, but you know the best goaltender in the conference to me in a big game, uh, you know, is still uh, is still in Tampa. So, um, but those three teams are, to me are the are the are the class of the conference.
1: All right, so I lied. One more question: How can Edmonton not get this right with a premium player on the planet and McDavid, and probably the number two premium player on the planet and Leon Dreisaitl, and they're on the playoff bubble?
2: I, I, I'm with you, Mike. They just, they, they haven't, um, I, I don't, I'm still not sure they, they know how to defend, uh, well enough to, uh, to win, which you you still have to, you still have to, you, you're not going to outscore teams and, uh, for the most part, um, and, and, and win a cup. And so, you know, is Skinner going to be the guy in goal? Now he looks like he is. I mean, he, you know he they they win last night two to one and he has what forty six or forty seven saves against against Calgary but you know they don't they don't look like a team they don't look like a good like a real good team when you watch them play they just don't look they just they look like a team that's just got holes in them. and I still don't think they defend well enough I still don't think they have enough good defensemen which is part of the problem and I I don't and know so, the coach
1: I don't know the coach at all but he he looks like he's a high school gym teacher.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know he's, he's right. He's been, he's been around a long time. He's been an assistant coach for a long time in the league. And I just think that things got so bad that, that, uh, when they made, when they made the, the, the change, when Dave Tippett was there and they fired him and they thought, we just need to make a change to make a change and see if these players start playing. And they did. And they started playing. And then this guy gets them to the conference final and so, did he deserve to get a new contract? He absolutely did. How good of a head coach is he? I'm not, I'm not sure, and I'm not being critical of him. I'm just not, I'm not sure. Um, because I know he's been an assistant for a long, long time. But, you know, you still, you, still need to, you still need to have the players to be a good coach. You still have to have the players. I don't think they have enough good defensemen um, or enough of them to, to compete and be as good as they should be.
1: Well, they're two, two good players to watch on any given night, aren't they?
2: Yeah. I mean, they're they're, just, they're, uh, they're, they're almost uh, they're as unstoppable as, I think, any two players in the league.
1: Well, listen, Joe, uh, we're going to let you go here. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. It's, I think the dinner bell is ringing. Have a good trip to Florida. I hope you find that condo.
2: <laughs> I'm going to call you, and then you can come down and check it out.
1: All right. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Good to hey, chat.
2: Mike, thanks. Yeah, it's great to be on with you. I
0: appreciate it. Thanks, Mike.
1: All right. Take care. All right, Ben, we got a break coming, right?
0: Yeah, let's take that. We'll be right back with more Gloves Off Hockey here on 1510 WMEX. Final segment here on Gloves Off Hockey, Mike Milbury and, uh, man, Joe Nicoletti. That was awesome to have him on there. And uh, Mike, he actually said that Mr. Roth said to say hello to you.
1: All right, <laughs> that's good to hear from. Him. Um, you know, we didn't. I could. I could have talked to him all through the rest of the show easily because he's no. so uh, he's so dialed in. But he mentioned Carolina and the goaltender Kachukov. Well, Carolina is ten zero and one in their last eleven games, and the goaltending has made, in my mind, all the difference. Stellar stats and. Uh, They haven't had that kind of goaltending, and now they become more of a threat in my mind. They may need another piece or two, but and Brent Burns on the blue line, the massive defenseman they got from San Jose, has made a difference as well, but I think the goalie development is key, and I think it kicks them into the discussion of who could possibly come out of this conference. And we did talk a little bit about Toronto, and I just shake my head when I when I saw this this morning. The second best goals against behind the Bruins is Toronto. I just that's not their mo. That's not the what. And and Morgan Riley, their best defenseman, has been out long term with an injury. So it's uh, it's a curious sense, turn of events here in the conference. Uh, I think he's right. Boston has to be considered. I don't know how you cannot consider the Caps after the run they've been on without Wilson. And without Backstrom and without Oshis, I mean, are they actually going to rise up and become, is even as one of the older teams in the league, a threat to come out of it? I can't believe that's going to be the case. I mean, even with Ovechkin passing Howe with that absurd number of goals, and now he's got his sights set on Gretzky. But the Caps are back in the, in the discussion. Uh, I don't think Tampa has the juice to get it done again i mean i know they have some You, you do you agree with that ben
0: i absolutely do and great run don't get me wrong that core has more than earned every dime that management has invested into each and every individual player but i don't think they got enough in the tank to uh keep it going like that you can't burn on all cylinders for three going on four years and not start to see mechanical problems so to speak so Hey, you know, we'll see what happens. But we had another game tonight, uh, just about a half hour after the end of this program at 730. And the Devils, once again, waiting for the bees. And did I hear uh, uh, Jack and Brick correct last night? This is one of the first times in the NHL matrix where a team such as the Bruins in this instance have been forced to fly almost twice in one day. Have you ever heard of that happening? Before? Yeah,
1: no, I, I haven't. I mean, that we talked about it at the top of the show how difficult it is coming out of a break and then to throw in a air travel on the day of the game is really is really a curveball. And then New Jersey, as we mentioned the last time they played, was the twenty third, so they had their time off and they had a chance to go back to the to the arena and get a good skate in. I mean, you know. But having said that, the Bruins are the only team in the league not to have back-to-back losses. So they respond very well to the challenge of a loss. I mean, saw them shake out the Christmas turkey or bourbon or whatever the hell it was they had over the holiday uh, in the third period and, and fire 27 shots at Cam Talbot, who looked like he was Not going to give anything up until they finally, Pavel Zaka, ex New Jersey devil, I might add, ties it up. So um, they have, New Jersey has the uh, benefit of getting into these couple of practices since the break, but strangely, um, New Jersey seems to be more vulnerable at home. The Bruins won here five days ago. They're just over 500 uh, at home, 10 and 8 and 1. And they're 12 and 2 and 1 on the road, which I have no explanation for. Uh, but it, it does lend to the belief that you can get the job done in New Jersey, as they did just a few, few days ago. And, and one interesting stat from the Devil's perspective Jack Hughes, their up and coming star, in this calendar year has 36 goals and 81 points. And less than that number of games. It's just, it's remarkable. Only four players have done it in history. One of them being Taylor Hall, by the way. But it just goes to show how, how on fire this kid has become. And that's a guy that they're going to have to keep an eye on tonight, Ben.
0: Well, also, got a little bit of a heads up from the uh, NHL Boston Bruins Twitter account. Uh, Coach Montgomery gave a lineup update about 20 minutes ago saying that Noshek is out for tonight. He will not be playing. The fourth line will be Frederick, Felino, and Greer. Smith will play right wing with Coyle and Hall. Now, that's going to be an interesting look tonight because they haven't played with that line combo yet. No, they
1: haven't. But you know what? I mean,. Uh... I love Noshik. I mean, it's hard not to appreciate his efforts. You know, he goes hard to the four check. Um, he'll kill penalties, but sooner or later, you got to score a goal. He's got two now in what the last hundred games or so of what, what he's played. Right. You know, it's nice to have him around, but he might be better off as the, the odd man out forward who jumps in once in a while when somebody else is struggling. I, you know, I, I watched them in certain situations last night, and it's just the skill level. the The heart is huge, the skill level not so much. So I can understand that Montgomery was had probably seen enough. Right. But we'll see tonight. It should be an interesting challenge for them again. Back to back losses, never for the Bruins so far this year. Jersey not so hot at home, but waiting there, rested. Should be fun.
0: I agree. And of course, a very happy new year to you, Mike. We'll catch you again in 2023, but gloves off hockey right here on WMEX. And thank you to all the listeners who helped make the show such a fun ride. Mike, be well, my friend.
1: Okay, Ben, you too. Happy new year.